Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 246 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman, and I'm joined by... He's back, he's back, he's back. The former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you, my man? All good, my friend. Always good when speaking to you. Uh, that That is the absolute truth. Um, yeah, getting on to... We're going to dive straight into the, into the review part of the show. Um, we're going to start here with a card that took place on... Uh, it took place last... I think it was last... Yeah, last Thursday, yeah last Thursday um the, the show was topped by Jason Maloney obviously uh you know a bit of a strange situation him and his brother I think were the only boxers in the world that were granted permission to get on a flight from one country to the other to 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 actually have a fight there so um obviously on the Tuesday friend of the show Andrew Maloney the twin brother of Jason Maloney two um Australian tw- um identical twins um yeah Andrew Maloney lost obviously his um his his world title um on the Tuesday but we reviewed that last week and um on the Thursday just 2 days later just 48 hours later in the same venue um Jason Maloney who I think is a few minutes older than than Andrew he moved to 21 and 1 um he made his his opponent retire on his stool after 7 rounds his opponent Leonardo Baez now 18 and 3 um a good win there for Jason Maloney obviously uh, I just went into it a little bit there you know there's there's obviously a lot um a lot of um mental I, I, I suppose pressure you know and everything that went on outside the ring him seeing his brother lose he was you know he was actually there because um again this this whole bubble setup that they've got um you know he was in there with his brother so he's been cleared to fight he's corona free so is his brother so they actually allowed him to stand ringside you know because he was he was pretty much part of the corner if you like he was sat there ringside or standing there ringside with his face mask and um yeah tough 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 scenes really um that was it though the, the the well there's one fight to mention on the undercard abraham nova now 19 and 0 a win there against avery sparrow who's now 10 and 2 um some people not too pleased with the wide scorecards i've got to be honest i didn't actually see that fight there um i should also mention that the on the undercard again there was a guy um it's not a big fight, but a guy called Raymond ya- uh, Raymond Yanong who got a win. He's now um, eleven and five with a draw, a split decision win for him over six rounds against a guy called Clay Burns, who's nine and eight now with two draws. Again, very small fight on the undercard, but I wanted to bring this guy up because he's got a very cool nickname, Eddie, and we like a cool nickname. So his name is Clay Burns, but his nickname that he's put. Put just before the burns, you may guess 
he's clay third degree burns so uh create creative <laughs> man <laughs> very <laughs> you know i was you know what i was gonna say if you're a fan of the simpsons yeah, <laughs> are you a burns. yeah if clay mister or montgomery burns would have been good true <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah. What else do we have? We have um, a card that took place on the weekend in Mexico. Uh, Miguel Burchelt, 38-1 and one now. He took on Elazar Valenzuela, who's now 21-14 and 14 with four draws. It was a six-round TKO there for Burchelt. Um, it's a very strange situation, again, because the fight took place in Mexico City. But in Mexico City... Um, there's like kind of some sort of soft ban on boxing. So the commission didn't turn up. So everything, apparently, I'm not 100% sure, but everything that took place on box rec and places like that has gone down officially as a no contest, despite what happened. So not quite sure if that situation is going to get cleared up. But Mexico City is a place where, um, you know, they don't have the, uh, the, you know, the commission... Um, ready for, for fights right now obviously in other parts of Mexico that's not the case that's why Carlos Molina friend of the show has been able to promote his own shows and fight on them in other parts of Mexico moving out now to the White Sands Treatment Center in Plant City uh, Florida USA um, one fight to mention over here return to the ring for Ryan Martin who's now 23 and 1 he hadn't boxed since losing in the World Boxing Super Series to Josh Taylor um, he returned with, with a good win um, his opponent Carlos Velasquez retired on his store after 6 rounds he had a losing record though um, Velasquez 27 and 37 now with 2 draws um, yeah very easy easy comeback there for Ryan Martin uh, and of course, almost forgot the card that took place this Tuesday, just two days ago. Once again, back at the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas. Um, couple fights to mention, really. Um, Josu Vargas moved to 17 and won a unanimous decision for him against Salvador Brasino, who's now 17 and 6. And topping the bill, um, it was quite a good fight, actually. Alex Salcedo moved to 30 wins. He's got that one loss, of course. It was a unanimous decision win for him over 10 rounds against Sonny Fredrickson, who's now 21-3. and three. Um, I'm just going to dive into the preview part as well. Um, there's one fight to mention that's taking place later today. Thursday, 2nd of July. Jose Pedraza tops the bill back at the bubble in the MGM Grand. 26-3, and three, the former world champion Pedraza. He takes on Mikel Lespierre, who's 22-1 and one with a draw. That's over 10 rounds. Lespierre, that loss came um, to Maurice Hooker when he moved up in weight from 140 to 147. I think it was Maurice Hooker's first fight, if I'm not mistaken, um, at 147. I could have that horribly wrong. It might have been a world title defense, actually, at 140 before he lost to Ramirez. Could be wrong, but anyway, that's where his loss came from. It was one of the worst fights um, in terms of action that I've seen in recent years. Um, hopefully, it's going to be a, a decent fight, but, you know, we take anything at the minute, at the minute, I should say. Um, also, on the undercard, we get to see 
um, Albert Bell, he returns um, the, the, the fighter from Toledo, um, Ohio. 16-0, and 0, he takes on Mark Bernaldez, who's 20-3. and 3. That's over 10 there. And also the 2016 Olympic gold medalist, Rabisi Ramirez, the Cuban, 3-1 and 1 after losing his debut, of course. He takes on Adan Gonzalez, who's 5-2. and 2. Something tells me that that could have been the guy that he lost to on his debut. Let me just double-check that. Um, could have it horribly wrong. No, I don't. I've got it right. So, yeah, he's trying to um, avenge that loss that he that he suffered on his debut, a split decision loss over four rounds when he was down in the first round. So, um, all the best to Rabisi Ramirez. There is also a card next Tuesday, of course. I think the undercard's still being finalised. It's back at the MGM Grand again. Um, over there we have Jose Pedra... Sorry, not Pedraza. Jose Zapida. 31 and 2. He's in a 10 rounder against Kendo Castaneda, who's 17 and 1. And Andy Vences, 23 and 1 with a draw, takes on Luis Vargas, who's 20 and 2 over 10. That is all the reviewing and the previewing. Um, I am just going to fly through the news segment real quick, Eddie. If there's anything you want to jump in and say, you're more than welcome to during that. Uh, and then, of course, we'll bring in your 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 story time segment. Um, so last Friday it was announced that Matchroom are going to be coming back with boxing shows. They'll they'll start from August the first um, in Eddie Hearn's you know, his, his back garden, so to speak, um, at the Matchroom headquarters. So August the 1st, we get to see Sam Eggington take on Ted Cheeseman, former world title challenger James Tennyson, 26-3. and three. Obviously, he got stopped by Tevin Farmer. He's back here in a 12-rounder against Gavin Gwynn for the vacant British lightweight title. Also on the bill, Jordan Gill against Reese Bellotti. That could be quite interesting over 12 rounds. Fabio Wardley, the undefeated heavyweight, 8-0. and oh. He takes on Simon Valilli. That one's for the vacant English heavyweight title. And Dalton Smith, 5-0, and takes on Nathan Bennett. So that's a very, very good card to come back with there. Um, like I say, the date for that, Saturday, August the 1st. Um, then I think we're still waiting on dates to be confirmed for it, if I'm not mistaken. But we will get to see at some point. Terry Harper defend her WBC and IBO Super Featherweight World titles against Natasha Jonas. Um, I think that's, I think, yeah, no, there is a date for that. It's going to be August the 7th. It's a Friday. Also on that card, we get to see Chris Billum Smith take on the undefeated um, Nathan Forley, who is 14 and 0. Anthony Fowler gets another, another fight under his belt. He takes on Adam Harper. Um, and there's a couple other fights again on that one there. And the third and final show, this one I think takes place, uh, I guess it's the week after that. Uh, 14th of August, so another Friday show. Felix Cash puts his Commonwealth middleweight title on the line against Jason Wellborn. Zelfa Barrett takes on Ireland's undefeated Eric Donovan, who's 12 and 0 with seven KOs. I think he was a very good amateur, Donovan. Um, Kieran Conway takes on Navid Mansouri, and uh, I think we see Shannon Courtenay, 5 and 0 with two KOs, take on um, Rachel Ball, 5 and 1. Also on the bill, John Doherty, no opponent just yet for him. But that's the that's the uh, that's the three cards that they've brought back. There is talks of a 22nd of August card as well, um, which will be on Sky Sports box office. Should the undercard 
come together. That's going to be Dillian White defending his WBC interim heavyweight world title against Alexander Povetkin, a man that Eddie knows very well. Also on the undercard, um, Katie Taylor will be defending her world titles, her undisputed um, world titles. And Martin Bacoli, the heavyweight that suffered a loss, uh, his sole loss to Michael Hunter, he returns to the ring against Sergei Kuzmin, another guy that suffered his sole loss to Michael Hunter. So the guy that um, beat them both, I'm sure, will be sitting back watching that one. Also a brilliant fight on the card again. Luther Clay um, takes on Chris Congo. That's going to be cracking there. Um, and yeah, in other news, Michael Hunter has been released by Matram Sports. He's no longer under contract. I think they had a period in which they were supposed to renew it, uh, if they wanted to renew it, after the Povetkin uh, the Povetkin draw, and they chose not to, if I'm not mistaken. It's news that's broke this week. I think it was a couple of days ago, something like that. Michael did um, an interview with a couple of outlets. I've known about it for a couple of weeks. Um, the funny thing is, <laughs> i tell you a story, Eddie. Uh, Mike told me, and I was like, wow, this is crazy. And he said, yeah, man, you know, we've got to do an interview um, you know, I want you to be the, the guy that I do that interview with to break the silence and talk about it and all that. And then he rang me today saying, oh man, I can't believe it. I, uh, I totally forgot. I did this interview with this other guy. So he's not in my good books right now, right now, Michael Hunter. Um, he forgot about me temporarily, but, um, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Um, I'm sure we'll get him on at some point to discuss it, but, um, yeah, I think he's, he's quite happy. Um, I think he he kind of felt like he wasn't getting the fights he wanted under Eddie Hearn. And, you know, they were trying to throw him tough fights that were like high-risk, low-reward fights, just repeatedly, in my opinion, you know? It's, you know what that's like. Yeah. Um, there is another another fight card to mention. Um, Matram USA makes a return on August the 15th. That's a Saturday. We get to see Julio Cesar Martinez defend his WBC World Flyweight title against um, McWilliams Arroyo. We get to see Cecilia Brackhouse defend her undisputed welterweight championship against Jessica McCaskill. Uh, also, there's a debut uh, from Mark Castro, very good amateur. A lot of people quite hyped up to see him. Uh, we have Nikita Ababi on that card as well, and uh, a couple of others. I think Giasov's on it as well. So some good fights there. Um, oh yeah, one last one. Uh, back on British TV, it's going to be on Channel 5. We get to see Shakan Pitters take on Chad Sugden, a fight that's been put off a couple times now. That one, of course, for the British light heavyweight title. I am quite excited to see that one. Uh, I think I... Did I say the date? Uh, the date for that is... Oh, gosh. The date for that. 22nd of August. So, August going to be quite a busy... A busy month, it looks like. Um, but yeah, that's all the news there this week. Sorry, Eddie, if it dragged out a little bit there. It's now time for your story time. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to pick off, uh, pick up, I should say, from where we left off. And uh, we're going to keep it bite-sized. We're not going to go on for too long this week, of course, because, um, again, we're, we're, we've got a, you know another in-depth interview coming. The interview's about an hour long, something like that, with the former um, IBF Super Featherweight World Champion and... Uh, not going to say his name, but you probably know if you're already listening. But he's the only man to have put Floyd Mayweather down. So that should be interesting. But before we get into that, Eddie, take it away, my friend. Knock, uh, lockdown, knockdown. Let's go. 
All right. Uh, we last talked about the Ruckman camp and how I went from when I fought Ross Purity in May, which was a Tuesday night fight, all the way till my camp, till Rockmont's camp, which was in, I believe, in July, you know, the whole month of July. So basically from May to July, I've been in camp. Because <laughs> basically, you know, I, I told you I watched the, the film of my uh, fight and I didn't like how it looked. And, you know, so I had to, I had to turn it on. Went, uh, went to camp there. After that camp there, I went to, I come back home and I got another call. You know, we, we always get calls, <laughs> you know, especially when, when it comes to going to camps and helping people train. But it was from uh, Marshall Kaufman. You know Marshall, though. You know of Marshall yeah, Kaufman, don't you? Promotions. Right, right. Well, they called because Travis had a fight coming up, and I think he, I think he was just turning pro, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but I think that was the case. He was just turning, starting, getting ready to turn pro. Yeah, because I, or he, I thought he was a little bit before your time. Because, uh, yeah, you know, he was you, a little bit, I suppose. Because, as you say, he's he's just turning pro. You think at this point, but yeah, he's. Uh, He's he's been on the show a few times. I like him. He's a nice guy, Travis. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. He's really cool. He's always been real cool, and I work with him several times. I mean, different times in my career. And this was, I think, the first time I worked with him. And of course, there was a bunch of other guys up there. I can't even remember uh, who all the guys were. There was a bunch of different weights, and I remember working with guys who were smaller and heavier. But I remember working with him. And at this point, I had been, like I said, I had been training for almost five months at that point. And I had been, and when I say I was sharp, I was sharp as a tack. Like it was, it was like, like a blade, like a, a ninja blade or something. I, I, every time I threw a shot, it was landing. It really was that serious. Mm-hmm. But I didn't feel strong, but I felt like. I felt good, like I felt athletic. I felt like I could move. I can do everything I needed to do. My weight was all the way down, sometimes like to like 200 pounds and even a little below. So I remember I went up there and I sparred with him, and, and I just, you know, and the sparring was good. He was tough. Uh, he was, he's actually a pretty good boxer, pretty smart, you know what I mean, with boxing as well. But he just wasn't able to keep up with what I was able to do, you know, boxing wise and speed. But I mean, it was still good work. It, 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 it turned out well for him. And, actually turned out really well for me, but, but, um, it was just, I remember him saying, man, he's throwing shots and hitting, but I don't really feel nothing. And I'm sitting there like, I'm trying here. You know what I'm saying? Like in my mind, I'm like, man, I'm thinking I'm putting some, some leather together. But I guess it wasn't bothering him. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, so it's like, I'm starting to think like it must either there's something wrong or, you know, because I feel good, but it did. And it was in the summertime. It was like the hardest summer, you know, well, coming toward the end of the summer, you know, in August. And that's like one of the hottest months of the year. So I remember being in that camp and, uh, and then we were only really up there for about two weeks. Yeah, I just come from camp and my fight was like three weeks away from then. So I was only up there for about two weeks. And, um, and actually we traveled back and forth. We would stay there for like the bulk of the week and then go back on weekends and stuff like that. But um, I remember, cause it's Reading PA is about from when I was in Philly, maybe about an hour from us. So I would go up and come back. But anyway, I remember like starting to feel like the heat of the summer. You know how it is when you're like out and you're walking. Like I even felt some of that today when I was out shooting. And it's, uh, it's you know, you just start to feel a little weak, but not like too weak. Like, I felt good still, but it's a little hot and uncomfortable. You know what I mean? So 
is is a wonder why some of the steam was coming off my shots. Not to mention, I had those five, basically five months of uh, of hardcore training and and in a camp and another camp in between. You know, so I do that work and I get through it. And and like I said, I felt pretty good. I was really sharp and I was doing a lot of a lot of work. And um, I end up, you know, we end up obviously getting ready. And and I remember the next, I think we were up there for about two weeks. So I think I had about a week and a half or so before my fight with uh, Robert Hawkins at the Blue Horizon, which was to be on September 9th. And I remember I get and I got back from the camp with uh, with with uh, Travis and just training. And I remember going in there knowing that the guy I'm going to fight this uh, Robert Hawkins, who had just beat. You know, for one of his biggest wins, at least up to that point, a guy by the name of John Poor. Not a lot, I don't think you know this guy, <laughs> Joe, but there was a, he, there was a lot of hype behind this guy because he was a big, you know, I'm not going to try to make this a racial thing, but he was a big white heavyweight from the area, and he had all knockouts, I think, up to that point. But he was so green. I mean, super green. I was like, if anybody who knew anything would would, was able to get in there with the guy it would have exposed him so robert hawkins got in there and got that opportunity and he exposed it and i really loved john john was a great guy and i sparred with him many times but he was just so green and and he got to the sport so late that he couldn't really you know what i mean he couldn't make up the time you understand what i'm saying and um so robert hawkins beat him so that was his way of getting and there was um like a vacant title they had come up with that ibu title i told you about uh, Joey and also the PA state title is that's where he got it from so they made this fight between me and Robert Hawkins for all of that so it's for all of the marbles up to this point you know what I mean and like I said I went through all that stuff in camp and I'm trying to be I mean one million percent sharp and ready to go because I mean I'm not afraid of the guy or anything like that but I am worried you know what I mean? You always go into fights and you have a little bit of nervousness. But this is like I just watched this guy, even though I know how green this guy is and how he's not really up to snuff. But I still watch Robert Hawkins not only beat him, but stop him. And I'm like, man, man he probably can punch. He's, you know, he's he's probably tough. You know, like I've seen him in there and he fought guys like San Peter and stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't even know if he fought San Peter uh, before me. I can't remember. But I just remember seeing him in there with different guys and looking at his record on box record kind of like, you know, you're getting a little worried and, you know, a little, a little, uh, antsy. So I'm, so every day I go into the gym, I would go into the gym and I swear I would get in there and do about 10 to 12 rounds of floor work, which means I would get into ring, into the ring and do like movement drills, you know, shadow boxing and things like that for literally. And I mean, I would be in constant motion for 12. We're talking almost like 10 to 12 rounds a day. You know what I'm saying? And I'm going to the gym six days a week at that point. And even though it was the last two weeks and we're not doing a lot of sparring or anything like that, the work is in, I'm still doing this stuff. You know what I mean? Just because I'm thinking I got to be able to move. I got to be sharp. This guy's tough. This guy's going to be good. So, you know, I say all that to, 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 well, we get all the way up to the fight. They had a fight, kind of, you know, you're nervous, you normal feelings, doing butterfly things. And um, I think my brother had fought on the undercard. So I, and, and this is crazy because he had a fight on the undercard where he got dropped in, I think, the first round. He got dropped, and it was a bad one, too. Like, it, it had up, he's never been down before up to this point. And the guy, I think he had, like, about, I don't know how many fights, maybe five or six fights up to this point, maybe even a little more. And the guy dropped him bad. 
So I'm in the corner. I'm, I'm not even in the corner. I'm in the audience watching. And I'm like, oh, gosh, what's going on? What the hell? Because at this point, you know, it's early in his career. You know, he's dominating everybody just like you, respect, you would expect. But he got caught in a situation with his hands down on the ropes. He got caught. Boom. Goes down. So I'm like, oh, shit, man. What the- this is not a good day so far. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm already worried. I'm already thinking about my fight. Then I'm watching this guy, and I have nothing that I could do. I'm powerless to help. But then he ended up getting gets back up. Finishes the round strong, and he's back. Ends up literally the next round stopping the guy, which and if, and he doesn't have he didn't have a, a lot of knockouts to that up to that point, but he showed a great deal of heart, which kind of then got me back into it and got me kind of excited again uh, about the fight. And I remember you know being jumping all up and and running out to the ring and all that right right you know right before my fight, but then I had to kind kind of calm down because you're still getting in there yourself and you still got to focus and. You can't just be all hopped up with all that energy and not have a, you know, go with the game plan that you've been working on for five months up to this point. You know what I mean? So I had to go back in, settle myself down and relax. And, you know, when he came back in all, you know, set up celebrating everything, I was, you know, hugging him and everything and was happy for him. But then, like I said, I got myself back centered and, and realized what I had to do. And of course the nerves start to come back again. So then I'm, so then they called me. I'm always on my way to the ring. And I think I think yeah, he was already out there because, you know, I'm the house fighter at this point, which is, trust me, not often in my career that I've been that. But at the Blue Horizon for whatever, you know, obviously I was there. But um, so I go to the uh, we get to the ring. And like I said, as you get closer, you get to the rings, like Mike said, Mike Tyson said, the closer you get to the ring, the more the more you feel good and comfortable. It's like another day in, uh, in the office, so to speak. And I remember getting in the ring. And and starting to feel good. They go through the introductions and and I felt okay. I I didn't feel weak or tired or anything. I, I felt really actually pretty good. And I remember the first round I got out there with the guy and like I said, nervous energy moving around real fast and just you know sharp. And I remember he threw a jab, and it obviously was too slow for me. And I remember countering the jab with the sharpest right hand ever. And instantly I remember seeing a black mark just appear, like a big swelling appear right, I think, under his eye. Like immediately, like not just, not like you hit him and then, you know, through the course of the round, you see it start to swell. No, boom, instantly. It was like a die. I was like, damn. I was like, oh yeah, I feel good today. <laughs> so the rest of the round just dominating them easily, picking them off counter, you know, Floyd Mayweather type stuff, pop shotting them all like crazy. And he goes, you know, we go back to the corner, easily won that round. Second round, more of the same, just dominating. And after the fight was over, and I'm going to kind of fast forward to after the fight was over, I think the first two, three or four rounds, the guy had literally went back to his corner because we knew his trainer, went back to his corner and tried to quit for the first four rounds. And his trainer was like, he's not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to throw the towel in. I'm not going to let you quit. I'm not, no, you're getting out there and you're going to fight to if he would have done that, obviously that would have been great for me because what happened is as sharp as I was in the beginning of the fight, now we got to look back at the training camp I had, right? All those trainings, all those, you know, the camp with Rockman and me not liking how I looked all the way back when I fought um, Ross Purity all the way up to, to now in September from May fighting. I have never stopped training hard. And I'm not talking about just regular training or throwing some punches on the back. No, I never relaxed at all. It was constant hard work six days a week for five months almost. So uh, as the fight was, you know, 
you know, going on. I still felt good. And I remember, you know, five, six. And I remember I dropped him twice, if I'm not mistaken, in the fight. I can't remember for sure. It might have been it might have been once. I'm, and I'm not sure. But I but I know I dropped him with a body shot once or twice or I don't I can't really remember. And I knew I had to fight basically under control. But I still felt, you know, the things were a little uneasy because I started to feel a little weird. You know what I mean? Going into the sixth, then the seventh, and then the eighth round, which was my last, well, I'll say the ninth was probably my last decent round where I was, I actually it was the eighth because nine through 12 was like, it's hard even to remember. You know what I mean? Like I was, I remember, I remember, I, I think I still took round nine, but I remember, I think it was 10, 11, and 12. I barely threw any punches. I could barely lift my arms. My body was so overdeveloped, I mean, overtrained. Like, I had no energy. I remember in the last round of the fight, not 100% not being able to pick my hands up. To even, it was a good thing that when I found out that he really wasn't a puncher, he hit me clean in the head a couple of times. And I was like, man, <laughs> I wish I had some damn energy. But but I couldn't I couldn't lift my arms. I, I, honestly, Joey. My arms were literally at my waist, and I could not do anything with them. I tried to pick them up to defend. I would move my head periodically, but I couldn't do anything. You know what I mean? And the last three rounds, obviously, he took them because I remember and in the last round, I think I threw three punches. I only was able to throw three punches. So we get to the scorecard, and I think I won. And it was actually decent. The card was actually not terrible. I think I, I won. Uh, I think it was uh, eight to four. You know what I mean? I think that was the card that they gave. I mean, the, the score that they gave me. A couple of them was like, there was like one that was nine to three, another two were eight to four. But I mean, I felt so bad at the end that I honestly felt like I lost the fight. You know what I mean? And I, I remember they had, once they announced the decision, they had those two belts. And I remember having, there's a picture, there was a picture in the blue. Now it's closed down. There was a picture in the blue with me. And those two belts on my shoulder and around my uh, both on both of my shoulders, I could barely hold them up. And they're not that heavy. Those belts. I mean, one of the belts was fairly heavy, but it wasn't like the you know the big time belts that are you know it could be really heavy. And I could barely hold them up. If you look at my face in that picture, it looked like I was just like about to pass out. You know what I mean? I had no energy left. So after that fight's over, and I remember not being too happy about it. And, but still, yet I had the belts with me, so I was well, one of the belts anyway. And I remember ended up sleeping with it. You know what I mean? It was my first time. And then I looked. Then uh, Rob, my manager at the time, brought me um, a picture, or well, not well, actually a box rec uh, um, screenshot. We're gonna call it a screenshot or a printout. Back then, it wasn't no screenshot. But anyway, uh, of me being ranked number fifteen in in the IBF. So I was like, oh, man. So I got the belt. I put that on the wall. Everything was I, everything was great. And at that point, I'm checking my box right constantly, you know what I mean, just to see if there's any movement, you know what I mean? You know how it is when, you, when you're coming up. But um, but I still, even after that fight, even though things went well, I got the decision, I still had to go back and really rethink my, my mental, you know, when it came to, like, how do I prepare for fights? Because I get that I, you know, obviously you get that, you know, my body didn't look great in the fight with, uh, with, uh, Ross purity, but it's not always about that. And it's more important that you go into the fight with, with everything you need, you know, your skills, your energy, your, your strength, all of that, no matter what your body looks like. Now, granted, you want to, you hope that your body 
the body beautiful thing comes with hard work and, 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 you know, that you, everything you do, you'll get that. But sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And certain people, body types are a little bit more difficult and you maybe you don't, you're not quite schooled on how to eat. And that was my issue. So I tried to overdo it. And my result was I could have put myself in position to lose. So to anyone who's listening, if you don't like something that maybe you think that you needed to correct, whether it's, especially with your physique, think about how important it is to feel good on the night of the fight, not look good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I understand looking good is important, but feeling good is much better and much more important. So, but anyway, um, we're going to go uh, quickly through. I, I, I fought, the next fight I had was with Andrew Greeley, right? On uh, February 10th. That fight, it wasn't really much. I, I think it was a 10 round decision, right? Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, Joe, eight, eight round decision. It was an eight round decision. Now, I remember, I remember uh, there's a picture of me actually fighting Andrew Greeley and him throwing a punch. It looks like we're not even in the same. It looks like the picture was kind of like, I don't know how do you say what is super, super like, um, like kind of, uh, what do they call that? Um, it's like, it's like you, you put, see, I was going to say something like that. Not necessarily superimposed where, um, it's one person, you know, some and, and play. No, it's, I can't really, really, I can't really think of what the word is, but anyway, it looks like we don't belong in a picture because he threw a shot. And he missed crazy, but if it looks like, you remember the movie The Matrix, when the guys, <laughs> it looks, it looks like somebody took a still picture of that. Like there was, I swear to God, there's a picture of that, and it was Andrew Greeley throwing a left hook or something, and missed kind of badly, but he missed because, who the hell would think that somebody? I bent back, my back all the way, almost like I'm touching the ground. It seemed like. <laughs> If you see that picture, you'd be like, what the hell were you doing? That is so wrong. And I wasn't even – my hands weren't even up. And I remember getting hit in that fight with a shot. It didn't hurt me, but it was like, oh, shit, I got caught. Like, could you imagine me getting dropped by this guy? And I remember thinking that while I'm in the ring. Yeah, so, but anyway. I just want to huh? I just want to interrupt real quick because you, you got three judges that scored it. Um, you know, you pitched, a, you pitched a shutout. On one card, you were – 80-72, but on the two other cards, you were 80-71. Did you drop him? Yeah, I think I started. I think I, yeah, I dropped him. On the same card, um, um, Steve got he, he got cut in the first round, and it was a no contest. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. I, I remember I had... Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember that. That was crazy. Joey Abel was on the undercard then, the future opponent of, of Tyson Fury, yeah. Minnesota Ice, I remember, and I, you know what? I think I sparred with him before that. Yeah, I think I sparred with Joey Abel uh, before that Greeley fight. Funny to remember, funny to mention, I, I sparred with him, and somebody told me like, "Oh, yeah, he's a pretty good puncher, and he's not bad." And I remember getting in the ring, kind of like, you know, a little. And I'm not an arrogant guy, but excuse me, but all fighters had that, you know, that air about him every now and again, especially with the success I was having. I'm like, man, whatever. And he was a, he was a South Pole. So I got in there. I remember I remember I did something, and I left my head there just thinking, oh, he ain't going to. He hit me with a sh- hard straight left hand. Boom, straight down the pipe. Boom. I was like, motherfucker. I remember, and, it, and it's like when your mouthpiece start moving around, <laughs> like it's not, you know you was hit. And it wasn't that it hurt me, but it hit me. And I remember hitting my teeth, and I'm like, motherfucker. And I tried to, and I, and I, I tried to dust him off after that, but it was a good work. It was the first time I worked with him, so I didn't really know what to expect. But man, he caught me with that shot, and that made that woke me up. Definitely woke me up and turned that sparring into like we we, we really went at it in there. 
he's but uh, yeah, he's still going now as well, Joey Abel. Yeah, still fighting. Yeah, well, it is what it is. But anyway, so I get past the Greeley fight and and um, starting to be a little smarter with the training. I, I kind of, you know what I mean. But anyway, I I had um. I look back on that. I remember the whole thing with the uh, Robert Hawkins and then getting through the Greeley fight. I uh, I think I was a little bit in a, 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 a better place, you know, mentally as far as what um, what to expect from my body or what to expect, you know, body style and what I look like or whatever. And that's not really being the most, most important part. And I started to more think about how I felt. You know what I'm saying? So then I'm training and, you know, we're doing our normal thing is we never really took any time off really like after fights we would be right back in the gym and i remember my manager calling my dad and, and saying hey we got this fight at the blue like always up to that point and um it's uh with this guy and he said the name and he said uh ed mahone I'm like ed mahone i didn't really remember hearing of this guy so you know we looked him up and he's like yeah you know he, he says he's a puncher but he ain't gonna tear, tear him apart and that's what you know the manager said so I'm like, all right, I'm going to go look. And, and, you know, I don't want nobody else to think I'm nervous. And, you know, my dad told me, yeah, he said you got all knockouts, but he's slow. And, Eddie, you're going to be – and that's my dad telling me, you, you'll be fine with him. We're just going to make sure, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, all right. In my mind, I'm thinking, this motherfucker got all the knockouts. How many losses do he got? That's the only thing I'm concerned about, like how many losses and how are the losses, how many times he's been knocked out, and what can I do to make sure that I feel like I'm going to be okay in there. You know what I mean? So I go check his box, right, look at some of the guys he fought. And obviously, you know, it's – some of his competition is good up to that point, but not really none of can't say good. Just just pedestrian competition, let's say at best. But he knocked out everybody he beat. So obviously he's a puncher. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm thinking, damn, this dude's man, I, I guess I can't let him hit me. You know what I mean? All of these things going through my mind. So here comes those uh those Robert Hawkins thoughts again, like, man, I gotta get back in the gym and be moving around for 10, 12 rounds, and then you know, but you gotta you got to settle down and relax and realize you just got to be as sharp as you need to be on the night. Try to feel good as you possibly can. But I remember just that that whole time and just like thinking about it, looking at his record and, you know, just trying to trying to pick him apart and see what was it. I was trying to look at find video of him. I don't think I was able to find much video of him or any video of him. And then um, so it's just it was just like it was it was annoying me. It was like bothering me. And I'm like, man. I just hope I don't get caught with this guy. You know what I mean? I I, I should be able to beat him. I should be better than him. But I, but it, but if he hits me, what if he catches me? You know, I'm I'm a small guy. Like I can't take these. All these are these are these doubts that go in your head. You know, throughout the throughout the time in camp. So after uh after the camp's over, and the fight's coming up, it's I think it was on a Friday. Um, we go to you know we get to the arena, and man, am I I'm 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 what I'm probably. In this, in that fight, I was probably as nervous as I've ever been in a fight, ever been in a before a fight. And I'm sitting there like, whew, you know what I mean, taking deep breaths and just, you know, like looking at my brother and he looking at, oh man, it's gonna be cool, you know, trying to reassure me, yeah, man, these dudes ain't ain't got nothing at this stage, ain't got nothing for you, ain't nobody got nothing for you, you know, all that stuff, trying to make me feel good and shit ain't working, you know what I mean? I'm still nervous. Like if he fucking land one of them big bombs, it's good night for me and you know all that shit, right? So and, and even though I've been in camps with like Rockmine and I've been in all of these different places and worked with you know Monty Barrett and all that and it's like uh, and been in there with uh, with with the Rhino and 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 um Michael Mora. Michael, and all of these guys man and even more probably up to that point 
uh, Daryl Wilson, who actually knocked out Shannon. You know, I hate to bring that up, but I was in the ring with him a lot. You know, Terrence Lewis, Gerald Nobles, several guys from Philly, Derek Bryant, all of these dudes at that one time where it was a real, real dangerous place to be in, in Philly for heavyweights. But I had done great work with all of them. But I'm still, man, this guy, for some reason, this, you know, we got the gloves on. But this is going, I'm nervous, man. What am I going to do? So, you know, just like always, you know, as you get closer to the ring, you know, in the ring walk, you start feeling a little more confident. But I still was really thinking and really worried about this guy hitting me. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, after they announce us, and then he does this fucking thing with his, with his, uh, you know, when they announce him, and he stomps real hard, like makes the ring shake, and this guy's probably, he's overweight. He's not what his weight should be, but he was like probably 260 or 250 pounds. You probably can look it up on box, on box right? And, um, and I, he make that stomp, and I'm like, fucking, this fucking guy, man, he better not hit me with some crazy shit and get me out of here. I'm like, he's still thinking this. Even though I'm feeling better, I'm still worried about that. So the bell rings. And I mean, when I say, you talk about clean rounds, talking about swimming without getting wet, he, I don't think he touched me in the first round. Literally didn't touch me, like no clinches, no, didn't even put his glove out and touch my body. And I remember I beat him so badly. I mean, it was, it was, it was like, it was, it was bad. It was really bad. And I was still kind of worried. Like, I still don't want this guy touching me, but I was all over the ring. I was like, I was like the Tasmanian devil. Like I was there, I was there, I was hitting him combinations and everywhere, you know? And, and, and it was like nervous energy, but then it started to become like, concentrated energy you know what i mean and i just put it into his ass the whole night well it was only three rounds and um i remember <laughs> pause <laughs> pause there pause hard on that i should have said put it on not in that was a mistake yeah <laughs> but anyway i don't want to take this Away from the story, but anyway, um, anyway. <laughs> why did you gotta say pause? Even because that's you know, what I you normally do, man. <laughs> I should have known better. I should have known better to say. And was going here. Oh my god! But he would have like pause. Like what? Did you say? <laughs> but anyway, so I remember after the first round, me giving his loud yell after I beat him like almost to death it felt like in the first round and it was just like yeah I got him I, you know what I mean I got him still a little nervous about the power but I was just it was just unbelievable domination same thing in the second round it was even worse and I remember in the third I think it was the third I think it was we went three and I remember in the third round me just walking up to him at the end and hit him with a hook right hand very hard real hard and sharp hard, hard and as sharp as I could throw it and I remember him like stumbling back from my corner all the way to the other corner on the other side. You know what I mean? Back to his corner and literally hitting the turnbuckle. And at that point, I don't know if it was uh, Steve Smoker that was doing the. I'm not sure. I, I can't remember who was the ref, but I remember him and up. He, he stopped it after that. And then once again, I let out this crazy yell and was like, "Oh, like like I just knocked out King Kong or something," because so it was just. So much of the energy and the worry of, you know, all this time in camp and all this worry about how this guy punched and how good he must have been to have all knockouts, even though he had like five losses up to that point. 
And all I was thinking about was he had he was 21, I think, in five or 21 and six or something like that. I can't remember. And he had all knockouts. And I was like, man, this guy. And I got in the ring and I dominated him so bad. It just made me feel like everything was vindicated. Everything that I'd done all the way up to that point was worth it. You know what I'm saying? All the hard training, all the sparring sessions with all of those tough guys and, you know, with the Clay Bays and all of these other guys. I forgot to mention him and the Rock Mons and all that. But it was like, man, you know, you get to this point and get to the fight. And when they say train hard, fight easy, that's that was that personified. I was like, wow. <laughs> it was an exciting moment for me. Yeah, and you mentioned there his record was 23 and 6 with two draws at the time. Um, yeah, he only ever, in in the end of his career, he only ever you know went the distance and won um, on, on points just once. 24 and 10 with two draws he ended up. Um, his last fight took place in 2010. But yeah, prior to... Um, to that fight that you had with him, his losses came to obviously box for the world title against Vitali Klitschko. Uh, he, he lost that one. Um, he lost to a guy called I, I'm not familiar with this one, but you might know Eddie. A guy called David Bostis, something like yeah, that. I know, yeah, yeah, him. Um, Terence Lewis from Philly. Man, Terence, yeah, I know Terence. Uh, Greg Pickrom, I don't know who that is. I know, I know, I remember, I remember, now I'm starting to remember his record a little bit. I remember Greg Pickram's name being on there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, decent, um, yeah, decent, That's decent, decent company. And sorry, I almost missed this one. Um, former heavyweight world champion, um, Henry Akin one day. Oh, you lost. Oh, okay. So that's not bad. No, absolutely. I mean, at the time, I, you know, I, and I think by that the way, Henry Akin one day didn't stop him. He went in the distance with him. See, yeah, Dang. see, it was probably those things that had me like so, like, oh man, what am I going to do? And then once again, it's always the same, man. You know, like I'm just not looking at myself as, you know, that guy. But the reality of it was, I was probably the one of the best guys he's ever fought. You know, and you know, with obviously when you think about Vitaly uh, Klitschko. And, you know, Henry Akinwande and some of the other champions, but you know, it's like, you know, it's 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 a different matchup for him. You know what I'm saying? Skill wise, it's just he's not able to match. Even at his best, he wouldn't have had a shot because of the speed and you know, just different things. You know, styles make fights, and heavyweights will struggle with certain styles if they're not boxers. Like if you look at like you look at Vitaly, Vitaly would probably have a little more success with a boxing a boxer who's smaller than him because of the range and him understanding how to use it. Same thing with Vladimir, obviously, but other mm -hmm. guys would struggle, you know what I'm saying? And and I think that's at the end of the day, what you see in, in the heavyweight division, we see a go small, like small guy like myself have success. So, but anyway, so I guess next time we'll uh, get into a little further into the career. Yeah, for sure. I think that's, that's the fourth episode there. Obviously, once again, there's been a lot of build up. We've um, we've spent a long time speaking about lots of the you know the the, the, the sparring, uh, the the training camps and stuff like that, the early fights. But again, it just gets juicier and juicier. Um, so yeah, we 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 end it there um, in in June two thousand and six that fight um, against Ed Mahone. So after that, obviously things like I say get get pretty juicy. So what are we going to be speaking about next time, Eddie? Whether it's next week or the week after. If we're talking about if I'm if I'm not mistaken, 
I think, was that when I was getting the audition with Mr. Dan Goosen? And who was the next fight after that? Was that... Next fight after Ed Mahone was Dominic Jenkins. And then... Yep. And then yep. after that, that was, was Derek Rossi. Yep, that's it. This, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. And Dominic Jenkins is going to be a very interesting story that goes into that. Because that was a big... Uh, that was a very important fight. Very important fight. One of the most important fights of my career because of what where it put me. You know what I'm saying? And as much as you would think, well, who's this guy? And he's a spoiler. Like, he knocked out a few undefeated guys. So he was the kind of guy that if you're not good, he'll, he'll, he'll let you know you're not good. You know what I'm saying? Like, he'll he, – so when they put me in there with him, they was like, yeah, we're going to put him in there with this guy. He's going to be a tough guy. You know, they didn't say this to me, but I know that's what they – but if you're not real – you're going to find out in this fight. So I was like, all right, and this is the uh, audition for Goosen. And I remember, oh man, I had, I had some interesting spawn for this one too, but we'll go into it next week or the week after. Absolutely. Excellent. Like I say, one or two other pieces of news that I've just remembered before we welcome our first guest, our sole guest, I should say. Um, the, well, Bob Arum has come out this week and said, that the rumoured date, I don't think it's even rumoured, I think it's pretty solid. The date for um, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder 3 will be the 19th of December. I think they've they've um, you know, they've know put the money up for, for a stadium. It's an outdoor stadium, stadium, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in Vegas. Can't remember the name of it, so I apologise for that. And um, there's a fight that's been ordered by the WBC. It's for the, I think it's for the interim... WBC um, lightweight world title. Um, Luke Campbell, who was supposed to get a shot against, um, oh gosh, who was he supposed to get a shot against? Against, uh, oh man, completely slipped me. Um, short guy, I think he lost to Robert Easter. Um, Javier Fortuna. He's pulled out of the Ooh. fight, so in steps um, Ryan Garcia, which will be very, very interesting should that fight happen. Ryan Garcia has already tweeted about it, saying that he's excited to take on, I think, his first southpaw in Luke Campbell. So if that fight happens, that'll be brilliant, and the winner gets to fight, I think, Devin Haney. But again, not quite sure that fight's going to end up happening because I can't see Ryan Garcia being the B-side or anything like that. And you know, Anyway, we shall wait and see. That's the news, and uh, yeah, that's everything. So, Eddie, just before I welcome... Our sole guest on this week's podcast, I just want to thank you once again for um, you know taking me down memory lane and revisiting these uh, these facts, these these unknown facts. And like I say, I cannot wait for the next time. It's going to just get juicier and juicier and uh, much more interesting, of course, as 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 you know as time goes on. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. I'm I'm happy to be able to do it. It's fun. It makes me remember things. That I, you know, you don't think of on a daily basis. So it's really cool, man. I, I enjoy this. Absolutely. Thanks, Eddie. Once again, like I say, for everyone that's listening during the lockdown, during the uneventful weeks of boxing, it's uh, it's been a it's been a bliss, really. It's been a blessing having Eddie here um, telling these stories. I hope you've been interested during during all the storytelling. You know, it's, uh, it's I really thank Eddie once again for. For doing that, I don't know what we would have done without him. So thanks, Eddie. Right, it's now time to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF Super Featherweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Carlos Hernandez. Carlos, welcome to the show, my man. 
Thank you so very much for having me here with you. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure of mine, Carlos. So I want to start from from the very beginning. Um, what was your upbringing like as a, as a, as a child, as a kid, Carlos? It, it was tough. I mean, uh, I grew up in a, in a bad area of uh, Los Angeles, and so I mean, it was it was tough with a with a hard father. You know, um, it, it was it was tough. It was uh, it was about fighting. As a little kid, you know, uh, getting uh, getting picked on or whatnot, or just being in the street, being playing in the street. You know, kids, we play in the street, and so back in my day, and so um, that's you know, there's always problems, especially where I grew up. So then, uh, you know, we we moved out of that area to a better area, but then you know, gangs just catch up to you, and uh, you know, I just hanging around those those kind of people. And it was about just fighting all the time. I, I, I grew up fighting in the street a lot. You know, I mean, I wouldn't say I was a professional street fighter, but I, I did it a lot. I, I like to look for fights. I like to start fights. I like to fight. It was it was something I like to do, you know, even because I, I'm short, you know, compared to like many other guys and they see me and uh, they think, you know, oh man, this this little guy, you know. So, you know, it just I even when I travel to El Salvador, where I'm from, or where my parents are from, I would um, I would beat up the kids over there, you know, just because it was fun. It was something fun to do. I was bored, I guess. I don't know. I just I just was born with wanting to punch kids or people. <laughs> <laughs> Sound like a delightful child. <laughs> so. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was a hard upbringing, you know. My, my father was very tough on me, so I mean, I think I just. You know, being married to a psychologist for many years, I learned, you know, it was just, it, it was the way I was brought up, you know, uh, I was just uh, leashing out my anger, you know, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, what's, you know, you talk about the street fights, what's your earliest memory of putting on a pair of gloves and, you know, perhaps hitting a bag or, or perhaps doing pads or anything like that for the very first time, first earliest boxing memory? Okay, well, okay, I'll tell you my first earliest boxing memory my father used to take me to the the grand olympic auditorium which was like the mecca of boxing on the west coast and um we uh i would go watch you know roberto duran um this uh indian red lopez so i mean i would see like a lot of these great fighters mondo ramos and uh, my father used to take me to the gym and watch them train but i hated it i hated boxing I didn't like it. I thought it was boring. I thought these guys were bleeding all over each other and hugging each other. And I didn't like it till around 14. I was about 14 and a half years old. And, you know, I was already a street kid and, you know, hanging around and getting in trouble a lot, getting kicked out of school. And so my dad took me and two other guys, you know, that were gang members, but we, you know, I wasn't, but you know, they were my buddies. And so he took us to, uh, to a park not far from, you know, down the street from where we lived. And um, this was in a bad, this park was in a bad neighborhood. But in that park, they had boxing. And so it was like $10 a month. And so uh, that was the first day I go in there. I see these, you know, my dad said, I'm going to take you guys to box. I'm like, all right, let's go. And uh, my buddies went too. They wanted to check it out. You know, they were, they were fighters too. But, um, so they, we, we started, we laced up the gloves that same day and, uh, we sparred. 
I sparred with one of my friends who was, you know, he was considered a, a good street fighter. You know, he's a big, bigger guy, but I popped him very good in the nose and made him bleed. He didn't want to spar anymore. And so I, I liked that. I was like, dude, you know, and they were like, dude, Carlos, man, he's a good fighter. He's a really good. And I, I kind of liked that, the adulation from, from my, from my peers, you know? Yeah. And so it was, it was, it was cool. And I think that that was addicting. I wanted more. And so I stuck with it and, um, they, they never came back. My buddies never came back. And I, I stuck with it, you know, uh, 15 years old came and I started, you know, my amateur fights. Then, um, you know, that's how, how it began. And you mentioned the amateur game there. Um, what was your kind of highlight moment in, in the amateurs, Carlos? Well, well, one of my highlights, one of the best ones, two, two of my favorite ones, uh, uh, I fought for the California title and uh, as an amateur. And uh, I, I thought I beat this guy. I really, I dropped him twice. Um, in the fight, it was, you know, three rounds, but it was, it was a good fight. It was really good. He was, he was quick, uh, African-American guy, Mark Lewis, good. He was a national champion. I had only 12 fights, 12 amateur fights. And he had, you know, hundreds. And, um, I was so proud and I, I, I knew I beat him, but they gave it to him. Mm -hmm. And so even though they gave it to him, I knew I did a heck of a job of uh of beating that guy which i i thought i did and everyone did too it was like i think it was part of the night and you know this is this, this is where de la Hoya was on that uh, on that car i mean it's an amateur show but i mean shane mosley i mean so i i was fighting with uh great guys from california at my time yeah i didn't fight them but you know they were on the same card you know no, that's cool man that's really cool um, embarking on the pro journey, though, you turned pro on January 23rd, 1992 in California against another guy making his debut that night, Victor Martinez. Uh, the fight, obviously, is scheduled for four rounds. It ends in a draw, though. Do you remember much about your first your first fight there, Carlos? <laughs> I do, I do, I surely do. I looked at the guy. It was The thing was, I was, like, in between. I stopped my amateur career at about 90 like 1990 because I try to make for the, I try to make, um, the, the, the U S team to go to the pan, not the pan of the goodwill games. And I, again, I thought I got robbed. So I got disgusted with boxing. And so I stopped, I didn't stop training. I just stopped the, the fighting and am, amateurs and all that. I, I stopped the amateur stuff. So I didn't, it wasn't really, taking it like serious. I was going to you know, college. So I was on the track team for college. And so I was in really good shape. And then, and then I see these guys uh, making it to the Olympics, the guys I used to train with or uh, spar with like Delahoy and Shane and well, Shane was the alternate, but, but, you know, then I burned in forest, you know, and um, Pepe Riley and they, they made the, the team. I'm like, damn, so I kind of, you know what, I'm just going to turn pro. And, I, and like two and a half, three weeks later, I turned pro. And so I, since me being on the, on the track team, I definitely thought I was in great shape. And I'm going to describe, I looked at the guy and I'm like, oh man, I want to just destroy this guy. <laughs> you know, it just, 
I just looked at him and I said, oh, man, I'm going to destroy this guy. And so I shot my water the first two rounds, and that guy could take a punch. And after that, I was just surviving, and he came back and won the last two rounds. And, yeah, it definitely was a draw. <laughs> and and plus, it, would, it didn't help having a girlfriend saying, get down, let's just leave, leave, let's go. That didn't help, you know? So... <laughs> No, that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, let's let's fast forward to September thirtieth, nineteen ninety five. Um, by this point, you're twenty one and zero with with that one draw, of course, on on your debut. You box a guy by the name of Aaron Zarate. Now, Zarate at the time had um, around about the same amount of experience as yourself. However, you'd lose your O that night uh, by a split decision over ten rounds in Nevada. Uh, what do you remember about that night there, Carlos? I, I knew I was going to be in a really dog fight. I mean, I was fighting a guy that was trained by uh, Nacho Bernstein. And, um, but I was, I was still confident. You know, I was, I was very confident. More than anything, I think that what killed me was just trying to make the weight. Um, it was, it was I, I thought I, I had it, but it was just too much for me. And um, I, I felt like I didn't recover in my weight. And so... The fight was uh, was a good fight. The guy was uh, aggressive. He did surprise me. I thought I was, again, going to uh, work him. Since he's a tall guy, I was going to work him on the body and, and try to try to get him get him out, which I almost did in the last round. But um, but at the end, I didn't. And so I, I at least thought it could have been uh, a draw, possibly, just like some other fights. But... but um, it is what it is, and uh, it was. I took it hard. I did. In fact, uh, I I was like sitting on the on one of the stairs and uh, one of the steps in the casino, and Mato Metal Pies. I don't know if you remember him, the former champ, Jorge Mato Metal Pies. He comes up. He loses his that night, and he gives me a beer. He says, "Oh man, get get the fuck up!" You know, it's like, come on, this this happens all the time, man. Just just drink up and uh, come back another day. I was like, all right. And so I, I I had a few beers with them and you know, we had a good time. It was nice. <laughs> and and I've said this to loads of guys over the years, but an early loss like that, while you're, you know, still supposed to be on the rise as a fighter, it can dishearten a lot of guys. It can ruin their careers. Some guys never recover. Did that loss though, you know, turn you into a better fighter, would you say, looking back now? Oh yes, yes, definitely. I mean I knew I had to make a change with uh, the the team that I that I was working with at that time, and so I I that's what exactly what I did, and uh, I made the change and um, and got back on the W with on the winning streak. Yeah, for sure, and that that winning streak. Uh, like I say, returned 10 months later. Um, you, you got a win over Isagani Pumar, and then six months later, you were back again. Uh, we're now up to January of 1997. You boxed the former WBC featherweight world champion, Gregorio Vargas. You beat him on a majority decision over 10 rounds. Um, did you prove something to yourself, perhaps, that night? Because, uh, like I say, it wasn't too long after the first loss, and here you are beating a guy that you know that, that was a world champion in the past. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It was it was a big night for me, but it was a especially big night because that night, the before the fight, I found out that my the trainer who made me, who, the guy who really made me, uh, who showed me the the boxing, 
showed me how to fight was uh, Jackie McCoy, the late great Jackie McCoy, and he died that day. So it was it was a very emotional win because you know I I I I left him because he was sick, you know he was, he had cancer. So when I left him, I went with uh, with another team, and uh, and so when I when I lost against uh, Sarate, I left that team, and I, I went back to training. Did, I got another trainer and all that, but I find out that he passed away. Jackie passed away that morning of the fight and I didn't even know, and I'm getting ready to put on the gloves. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was a very emotional, you know, I, 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 I dedicated that fight to him, obviously to my country too, you know, but you know, it was a, uh, it was a special moment for, for me to win, but I was, he was in my mind, in my heart, you know, when I, when I won. Yeah, for sure. And I know that, um, Jorge Paez was also on that card. I'm guessing there wasn't too many beers after that one. You both got wins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah, he was he was a crazy character. That was the, the only time I ever did that with with him. Yeah. But but um, yeah, the guy. I mean, I, I trained with the guy for many years, and the guy is just a character. Yeah, we had uh, Tony Lopez on last week's show. He knows all about. Um, That's all about right, Jorge Paez. That's right. <laughs> Yes, I mean, I used to study that fight. I used to watch that Tony Lopez and uh, and Model Metal Pies fight night. I loved it. How both fighters just gave, gave it their all, and and um, I became, well, it, you know, further down the line, um, I was um, Tony Lopez's sparring partner. Oh, okay. And um, I I sparred him for the Chavez fight. Oh, okay. And and when when they when we went to when we all went to Monterey, Mexico, when they fought Chavez, um, that's where I met my wife, my ex-wife. Um, I just got recently divorced, but we're on good terms. But yeah, we just recently got divorced after twenty-five years, and um, but I met my wife on that trip. Wow, that's and it was a good trip. It was a really yeah, it was it was really good. But people were thinking that um, Tony Lopez was going to beat. Um, was going to beat Chavez up. And um, so when I would come down the ring, you know, after doing the, the, the public training, they're like, Oh my gosh, you're going to, you're going to destroy Chavez. I'm like, no, I'm not the one fighting Chavez. <laughs> it's the other guy. <laughs> it's Tony Lopez. I'm not Tony Lopez. <laughs> so that was, that was, that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool on, you know, how I felt really good. And, you know, I, I understood that he was, trying to make way and, you know, he's feeling a little weak, you know, but he's just moving around, but I felt really good training and, you know, meeting my future wife and it was, it was really good. Yeah. That's amazing. Like I say, um, I'm, I'm sorry to hear the news that, that that's come to an end. It's, I'm, I'm happy though that you're on good terms. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting having Tony Lopez on cause he went into great detail about, about the, uh, the Chavez fight. So if anyone's listening to me now, um, and you haven't listened to that interview, you should do because he revealed some things that apparently he's never revealed in any other interview. So that that could be interesting if you haven't heard it. Um, back onto yourself. Though. Yeah, I thought that you were going to interview him. Yeah, but I, did, I, did, I haven't listened to it. No. Yeah, yeah, he goes into great detail. Last week's show, and um, yeah, he 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 spent quite a while going into detail. And like I said, there was one thing on there that he said, "I've never said this before, but I'm going to say it now." Blah blah blah. So uh, yeah, check it out. <laughs> wow, 
will. Okay, my friend. So back on to back on back on to, to your career. After this win here against Vargas, you put together two consecutive knockout wins before getting your first attempt at a world title, the WBC Super Featherweight World Title that at the time was held by uh, the late Gennaro Hernandez. I believe you boxed on a few of his undercards, if I'm not mistaken, on the on the come up. Um, he was a personal friend of that, yours, and yeah, obviously it was it was an unfortunate night for you. Looking back, it, it wasn't to be your night. Um, a wide unanimous decision loss over twelve. Tell us about it, and obviously your friendship with this guy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, uh, I was basically his his his. Uh, I was his ment. He was my mentor, and uh, but I was like his chief sparring when he was up and coming and um, like two weeks or maybe, maybe a little bit more, maybe three weeks to a month before he passed, he sent me a text and I saved the text. And um, he says uh, something in the words like, if you know, you helped me out a lot, you know, because of you, you helped me. And I was champion because you, you helped me with sparring and, you know, like he, he included me with, with his success. And, um, that was very classy of him. And he was just a great guy. I mean, we would go out together with the wives and go out to dinner together. We'd go to soccer games and, uh, we'd play together, you know, we're fighters, you know, but we'd go to the beach or we'd go to the lake and jet ski together. We do family outings together. And, um, it was, it was great to be part of part of that. And, um, like I said, he was my mentor growing up. And um, growing up, I mean, in, in boxing, as a as a young guy, and uh, that's why I I won a lot of my fights as well, is because sparring people like him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so I I got the shot at the 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 title. The the new managers that I had, you know, they wanted me to get a, a title shot. They thought I was ready, and uh, but it was kind of like a a bittersweet kind of deal, you know. I mean. It's like, great, I'm fighting for a world title, but it's against a buddy of mine. I didn't care, though, uh, and neither did he. This was business, and this was more about if if he had to lose to anybody, how beautiful it would be that he would lose to me, he he would tell me. And um, I would thank him, you know, but, you know, and I, and for that fight, it was, it was, it was a good, it was a good win for him. I mean, he, he did what he had to do. I was trying to always be the aggressor, trying to be on top of him. But, you know, he used his range, and he knew exactly how I fight. Um, I didn't change my style just for the reason because I, I, I felt confident that I could get to him. But at the end, I, I never did. I, I never got close. Yeah. Yeah. Like I say, a bump a bump in the road. Um, but, but, you know, that, again, that, that loss kind of, you know, gave you something to go on and, and – you know, up your game once again. You know, you go on this undefeated run. You were unbeaten for three and a half years. Uh, you put together eight eight fights in a row, winning them all. Uh, before obviously getting your your second crack at a world title. By this time, Hernandez had lost the world title to Floyd Mayweather. That's that's when you got the shot. May twenty sixth, two thousand and one, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Floyd's backyard. Um, and obviously, it's, it's an interesting one. You're credited as the first man to knock Floyd Mayweather down. Um, yeah, just talk to me about that from from your point of view. I, I watched it back the other day once again. He kind of takes a knee because he, he hurt himself or something. But I'm not taking that away from you, man. Yeah. You're the guy that put him down. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, technically, I I did, but I didn't physically put him down. He took the knee, you know. And um, 
he he I, I try to look at the fight and watch it again over and over and it looked like he almost turned his back and took the knee. Yeah. And I was like, Oh I really wanted to put him down on my own, but you know, um he took the knee he took the knee because he hurt his hand and uh not because I punched him or anything. And so I guess, you know, he had pain in his hand so much that, you know, he took the knee and uh, he needed to take that knee to, to, to get a little bit of, uh, of a recovery to uh, just to move. And, and that's basically what he did. You know, I, I think in, in that fight, I was probably in the best shape I, I've ever been in any fight. Even when I fight, well, when I fought for the world title, I was, I was in great shape as well, but that fight, I was, I was 128 pounds for that fight. And, um, the lightest I've ever been, and um, it was just um, it was a, a good a good feeling. Even though I lost, it was a great great fight for me. I mean, the, my country in my country, it's like I won. Yeah. And so, and and a lot of people uh, like Jose Luis Castillo once told me, you know, I studied your fight just to 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 uh, fight. Mayweather and to prepare exactly he's like I think you wrote the way on how to beat him and um I was I was like thank you thank you I thought you won I told him the first fight and so that was uh that was it was a good fight it was a really good fight for me even though again I lost but I didn't get you know I didn't get beat up these fights that I that I lost and I didn't get like beat up or whipped you know it's just you know they beat me you know but I was on them and I was on them the whole whole time even even I, I had a knot in my head I was still going forward but um but yeah he was just a talented talented fighter with exceptional um uh movement I mean it's just very very smooth and, and I I I say that before I met Mayweather I thought Shane Mosley was he was my favorite fighter Shane you know I grew up sparring him and I grew up but like 17, 18 years old, we were sparring, you know, and um, then we were sparring as adults and in um, against Gennaro, and um, I'd get in with, with Shane, and I mean, I thought Shane was just, just the a greatest fighter, man. He was just so fast and punch hard and and he just, just a good fighter all around. And then, uh, when I met Floyd Mayweather, I... I had to say Floyd Mayweather was just at another level, just at another level. Shane with Shane, he gets hit a little bit too much. And um, Mayweather doesn't, he doesn't really get hit. I mean, when I fought uh, Mayweather, I made his nose bleed. I made his mouth bleed. He even had like a, a small nick on his, under his eye. And I thought I, I thought you know, damn! At least I made the, I made him bleed. You know that was great, and uh, I didn't make him bleed because of a headbutt or anything. It was because of, of punches, and so I was I was part of that. But uh, by far, I thought Mayweather was just at another level, and he is a tremendous fighter. Yeah, you you cut him. It, it was an impressive performance. Um, you know, just being credited though as the man to or the first man to put him down is 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 a brilliant fate. Um, if ever YouTube crashes and we lose all the footage, that's it. You're in the history books. No one knows what what exactly happened. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, 
No, you're right about Shane Mosley as well. Just on the come up, a fighter that had it all really. Um, you know, just speed, power, good chin, strength, unbelievable. Um, yeah, the, the next 13 months after this fight, you put together a string of four wins before then getting your third shot at a world title. February the 1st, 2003, for the vacant IBF featherweight world title against David Santos at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. Uh, ringside, sitting there ringside, we, we see Alexis Arguello, Roberto Duran, the president of El Salvador, all ringside supporting you that night. The fight ends in a technical decision after eight rounds, perhaps not the way you wanted it to end, but tell us about the night your world title ambitions came to fruition there. No, I, I, I knew, I just felt that this night was going to be my night. I mean, not taking anything away from David Santos, he was a, a great a great technician, great great boxer, I just uh, felt that my my tenacity, my me being on him, being aggressive, would slow him down, and I think that's what really happened. I mean, that cut that he received, which was a headbutt, wasn't really. I mean, it was. I I don't know. I just and not to put anything, not to put him down or anything. I mean, there's cuts, and just fighters still fight, and I, I felt that you know they they took the back back way out and try to see if they could pull it off through the cards. And, um, luckily, luckily it didn't, you know, I was, I was happy that, that I was winning the rounds and, um, my aggressiveness, I guess, proved that, you know, it was, it was better than, than his technique. And, and thank God that I became champion of the world for the first time for El Salvador. Yeah. The first world champion from El Salvador. Um, what did that mean to you personally? And obviously the people, cause you say you boxed Floyd Mayweather. It was like you won. They, they thought you was amazing, but to, to win a world title, to put that, that nation on the map in a, in a sport like boxing, what, what did, what did they receive that? Like, it must've been amazing. Uh, it was, it was, believe me. I mean, the country, the country, it's, it's a poor country, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a third world country with, uh, with a lot of, uh, bad history in the past and to this day i mean it's it's starting it's starting to get better but you know with the gangs and um and just the war that we had you know and then we just had a, a cyclone uh which like a hurricane uh about about a month ago so i mean it's been it's been very bad the, the country never gets to like recuperate and so um when i fought it was like everyone was on watching TV. The lowest crime rate that of the year was that day. Um, it was, um, it was amazing. It was, uh, they named, um, an arena after me there, uh, the president did. And so, um, it, it's a, it's a very big deal. You know, it's a, I have my own street. I have, I have, um, my park. <laughs> I have, it's, it's really good. I, I've been blessed with, uh, with uh, with the respect and love my people have given me because I I think they've seen that I've I've done all I can to to promote our country in a in a in a better and positive way to like stay away from gangs and um and drugs and uh try to uh just walk the right path and and be good. Oh, good for you my friend. That's amazing stuff. Um you know, Fe- you. February the first, two thousand and three, obviously w- was the date. Um, is that is that the happiest night of your life? If it's not, what's what's better than that? <laughs> no, it, it was it was yes, it was one of the best nights of my life. Um, 
I, I, I didn't, we didn't sleep. My wife and I, we didn't sleep at that time. We were just, we were just, we had the president over in, um, with, uh, you know, secret service. And, um, it was, um, it was amazing. I mean, I had many people up, uh, Bob Arum got me the presidential suite at the Mandalay Bay, which is like an apartment at the top floor. You know, I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. Then I had, I had an interview at six in the morning in Miami. My, I mean, I was, we're in Vegas, but the Miami, the show in Miami is, is early. It's nine in the morning. So I had to wake up at six in the morning, but I didn't even sleep. So it was just, it was just amazing. It was just an amazing night. Something I'll never forget. You know, it was, it was beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, after that fight, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had a non-title bout against Moises Pedroza. Um, you were both down before you stopped him in the second round. Uh, that's that's when you, you moved on to defend your title for the first time. The bout takes place at the Staples Center in L.A. You box the former IBF Super Featherweight World Champion Steve Forbes. Um, he wanted his, his belt back, quite frankly, a belt he lost on the scows before, before a play yeah. of defense. Uh, Steve's been on the show, on the show before good guy, but he couldn't beat you that night. Um, it was however, another technical decision due to a head clash and the fight stopped in the, in the 10th round. What do you recall of that night? Um, yeah, Steve Forbes probably underrated really when you look back, but a good fighter and a good win for you. Absolutely underrated. I mean, the guy, you know, I, I didn't think he had that that kind of a pop. He, his record didn't show that he had that knockout power. I, I proved in, in the, in the business that I was just like, I had a strong chin and, uh, I wasn't going to go down. And, um, and, uh, that was like probably the first time that like, uh, I was like, really, I staggered in that fight. And uh, I think it was the fourth round where he threw an uppercut and I was, I saw white boom white lights and I, I felt my, my knees buckled a bit and um and I, I knew I was I was in a dog fight. I mean I was like, wow, this guy really does punch. Where where is it why doesn't he have uh, why doesn't he have more knockouts, you know? And so anyway I had to do what I had to do, stay on him. I really trained hard for that fight. I wanted to keep my title, obviously, and um uh, my my wife at that time and, and I we I mean, we trained, I trained, I used to train in wild card and, um, and we trained a lot on throwing punches. So my wife, what she would, she would do is, uh, she would count my punches as many punches as I could throw in, in the round. And when I would spar, you know, you're throwing only 40 punches. Come on, bring it up. You know? So I, so in that fight, it was about output. I had to throw a lot of punches and that's how I beat them is, uh, just being busier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, that's that's a brilliant win looking back. Um, the fight after that was where you attempted to unify your title with the then WBC champion Eric Morales. The fight takes place at the MGM Grand. Uh, you tried your best that night, of course, but you came up short over 12 rounds unanimous. Um, what do you remember of that one there, Carlos? Yes, I, I just, you know, he, he knew my style. He knew I was just going to try to bully him. Cause I felt, I felt I was going to be stronger than him. And, and that's what I did. I felt, I felt it as well. I didn't feel his, his punch at all. I didn't feel, um, maybe it was because he was weaker or whatnot. I don't know, 
but I just, I felt like I could just walk through them. And, um, when we were fighting, that's what I was trying to do is walk, walk through them. But he, he actually stayed there with me every few times, but then he'd, he'd box me. He'd move out, he'd run away and use that jab. So it's, uh, it was a, a good technical win for him. I mean, he, he did what he had to do. It's not just, it's not just a, a, a way, it's not just a fight. These guys that beat me use their brains. They, they, they either study me or they, they're just smart. And they had, he has a really high ring IQ. You know, he was able to, to let me come in and just catch me with that jab and, you know, or throw a few combinations to, to catch me and, and score points. And that's, that's what happened. I, I had more of that. I don't, I don't, I didn't care. I just want to fight. I want to get you out of your, your rhythm, smother you and, and fight. And, uh, um, maybe I should have boxed a little bit more, but it was just that thing inside me that I've always had as even as a kid, you know, it's just like, I, I, I just want to just go at you like a tank. And, um, and, uh, you know, it just, it proved, you know, that I, I couldn't win them all. I mean, that way. And uh, I should have, I should have boxed a little bit more. It would probably would have been better, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm glad I fought these, uh, these legends and, uh, I lost to these legends, but, um, but I, I was in there with them and they couldn't do anything to me. Yeah. They couldn't do anything. Yeah. No shame in losing to, to a guy like Eric Morales and, you know, he, he made a lot of adjustments in that fight as well during during the fight. Almost a lost art. You don't even really see people making adjustments during a fight much anymore. Um, after that, you know, I think five months later, you, you had your next fight. You was involved in three back-to-back split decisions. You won the first one against former three-time world title challenger Juan Carlos Ramirez. But then after that came the loss to former WBC super featherweight world champion Jesus Chavez. And then a very controversial loss to Bobby Pacquiao followed that one. Um, do you want to give me any words on any of those fights? Yeah, that, that year was uh, my worst year in boxing. And uh, I uh, I felt when I fought Chavez, I, uh, I was very disappointed because uh, there was a a knockdown, a flash knockdown in the last round where they didn't count and because his glove touched the canvas. And, uh, but it was, he, he just touched it, but then got back up. Uh, you know, it, it's boxing, you know, and, um, and I, I thought it, it could have counted, you know, but it, it didn't. And um, it was what it was. And so we wanted to get the rematch. It was going to be a great, possibly trilogy. I, I knew I, I could knock him out. I felt in in the second fight, I was so I was so sure of it, and uh, we were gonna get a very good payday, and uh, he decides to fight um, with um, what's the name, Levander Johnson, I believe, and he wins the title. He wins the title, but he kills the guy. But but you know, I think we could have the best business deal. I think would have been making more money. He he won a title, which is great, but I think the money right there was good for us at at, uh, at that weight fighting with because um, he signed with Golden Boy to fight Levander Johnson, and we were top rank, and he left top rank, and um, I thought that was just a very bad business move on his part, and um, because again we we're supposed to make half a million dollars in that fight, and uh, it's not a title fight. And um, it would have been a great 
a great possibly trilogy hmm. or we could make more money but you know at that at that time it's about making money you know and um you know it was great that he won a title but i don't think he he made the money that he was he could have made with with top rank yeah interesting and and yeah the like i say the controversial bobby pacquiao loss i'm sure you got something to say about that one <laughs> yeah you know it was a uh, ringside on uh, ringside magazine a ring ring magazine it was it was a uh, robbery of the year and uh, i remember that clearly and um yeah i was disappointed i was uh, that that's when i kind of like you know what kind of like what i what i did when in the amateurs when i kind of gave up with the amateurs i i just i just um it was not there anymore the pleasure of training of going through that going through that on my body day in and day out every day it, it was i was feeling it i was already feeling it and so uh, i was i was disappointed and so when 2006 came, I believe, or was it 2007? I, I don't remember, but I fight Kevin Kelly. And um, I thought because of uh, me fighting Bobby Pacquiao, you know, I, I still got it, you know, but I was already kind of like ugh, frustrated. And uh, and so I fought, I fought Kevin Kelly thinking for sure I'll, I'll destroy this guy. He's just an older guy. I'll beat him. And uh, to my surprise, you know, he, he dropped me in the fourth round, I believe, I don't know what round, and won the fight. And uh, that's when I knew I was, I was done. And so I, I retired for like a, a year and a half or two, and then I came back for another two fights, I believe, and um, and that was it. Uh, I felt that um, my last fight was, I think, a, ma- a majority decision, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, your, and, uh, your 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 very last fight, a unanimous decision loss over ten to Vicente Escobedo. Uh, the fight before oh, that yeah, okay. was a, the, the the first comeback fight, if you will, was a split decision win over ten rounds against Hector Alatore. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know that fight, I felt just out of out of out of tune, just trying to get back into it. But um, then I had a, a closed eye, and. Um, so it was it was pretty it was pretty tough. The guy was a an aggressive fighter. Um, he did what he had to do. You know, he's fighting a former champion. He wanted to win. He didn't. But then I, I fight Vicente Escobedo in my next fight, and uh, that I got dropped in the first round, second round. Now I'm starting to get dropped, yeah. and so I felt like, you know what, you know maybe this is not, this is not supposed to happen. So I should maybe call it a a career. And that's what I did. That's what I did, you know. And and it's, it's it was tough. It was tough because you know you go through a depression. I mean, it was something I only knew what to do was the fight, and uh, that's it. And uh, for me to stop, and it, it was tough. You know, I had to stop even the training because I would get that itch of wanting to to, to go train to fight again. So I even stopped training. Um, yeah, just to get the timeline right, like I say, after the Bobby Pacquiao fight, uh, you know, the four fights that followed, obviously a win over Sean Plessis, then that loss to Kevin Kelly, a guy that we will probably be speaking to uh, within the next couple of weeks. Um, then, yeah, you're out the ring for two years, come back, get the win against Hector Alatore, and then finally finishing on that unanimous decision loss to Vicente Escobedo um, on, on an Edwin Valero undercard, by the way. Um, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I want to ask you this one. I probably should have asked you this at the very beginning, Carlos. Where did the nickname El Famoso originate from? <laughs> well, it's actually Famoso, not El Famoso. Uh, it was uh, um, it was just famous uh, because I'll tell you why. Because when I would go to El Salvador as a kid, I would beat up all the kids, <laughs> and so in the street right there in the neighborhood, so they would all go crying to my grandpa who was taking care of me and uh my grandpa said damn this freaking kid is famous everyone's always complaining about him so then he, he said i'm gonna call you famous so famoso i'm gonna be famoso so famoso famoso you know so that's how it started and uh ever since as a kid you know it was um you know my dad my dad would call me famoso hey famoso when he, you know come here come here famoso famous and so uh when i became uh, at 16 years old i had some like new headgear cleto reyes and uh cup and everything and i put el famoso on my on my headgear but uh i don't know if you know uh, who manny robles is oh of course he, he was, okay he was the one that made ruiz right well his father was one of my trainers back when i was young and he told me he told me why el famoso I was like, um, I don't know. Uh, that's what it, my dad calls me Famoso. He's like, yeah, famous. You're not the famous. You're famous. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. So I took the I took the El Famoso out and just put Famoso, and that's how that's how it was. And so it was because uh, I was thinking, mate, should I be Carlos Hercules Hernandez? Because I heard that like in a in a wrestling match from a guy named Hercules Hernandez. I was like, hmm, that sounds kind of cool. I like that. But nah, Hercules sounds too too wrestle, WrestleMania type thing. So I didn't like that. And then, uh, so I was thinking about nicknames like Pitbull. Huh, that, that's kind of cool. But then my dad said, well, why don't you go with Famous? That's your name. I was like, oh yeah, all right. <laughs> so that, that's how I got the, the name Famous, almost yeah, because a lot of people, you know, like it's always been the way where the the nickname comes in, in between, in the middle of the first and, and last name. Like, you know, Carlos Famoso Hernandez. But it could have been, you know, El Famoso Carlos Hernandez. That would have been cool, right? Maybe. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. But uh, with with Manny Robles' uh, his dad, it, it made sense to me. Yeah. He's like, but you're not the famous. Yeah, yeah. You are famous and i'm like you know what but the way you put it the way you worded it i loved it and i, I said you know what that's it i'm famoso <laughs> and coming down to the, the the last few questions here carlos i want to ask you this um looking back over your career who would you say was the hardest puncher you faced okay the hardest puncher is is kind of a an easy one um is this name this is this guy from colombia named douglas Villarreal. I heard he passed away already uh, from hepatitis, but uh, um, he was, uh, I knocked him out, I think in the first round, in fact, but, uh, and I fought him, I believe it was here in Austin, Texas, but um, that guy punched me on top of the head, and uh, I just saw lights, and I didn't, I didn't buckle in that fight, I, I wasn't knocked down, but I just felt his punch, I felt a heavy hand. And um, I knew how to get him out of there. And, you know, I was, I think I only had that one loss. 
so uh, he was one of the guys that you know I that was um, that had a knockout to to get that title shot. Yeah, he only ever went the distance. Um, well, he, he only ever won on points just once, and uh, he only ever lost on point on points just once. He had uh, he had thirty no forty fights. And he went the distance three times, so he either he either knocked you out or got knocked out himself. But yeah, he passed away five years after after your fight. Um, who was the best all round fighter you boxed? Ah, oh, Floyd Mayweather, definitely. Yeah, I thought you might say that. Um, have you got any regrets looking back over everything? If you could go back and change something, yes, um, leaving my trainers. Hmm. Uh, I wasn't really. Um, Sometimes I wouldn't, I wasn't as professional or I was just a kid. You know, I, I didn't know how to, I wasn't mature on how to be more of a businessman and tell him, you know what? I don't think things work this way. I just left. And, um, I think that was, uh, that, that's one thing I, I truly regret doing with, uh, with Bill Slayton, who, uh, was Ken Norton's trainer and Lehman Brewster's trainer. And, uh, he was, he was my trainer. But um, but I left them for Emmanuel Stewart, and um, I didn't have the courtesy to, to even call him, and that that sticks to me, you know that that bothers me, but um, you know I just um, I just you know hope and pray, you know that you know um, I was just a dumb kid, you know I didn't know how to do it. And I mean I wasn't a kid either; I was a young adult, but you know I just I didn't have I guess the didn't want to hurt his feelings and. I wasn't, but, but at the same time, I wasn't professional enough to, to tell him, you know, I'm sorry, you know, I, I'm going to go this way. You know, I just, I did it, um, uh, cowardly. And, um, that's one of the things, if not the most, uh, the biggest thing I regret in boxing. Yeah. That's, that's pretty sad to be honest. Um, you know, when you trained with Emmanuel Stewart, what was that like? Cause again, you know, I've spoke to quite a few people, it seems, during this lockdown that have trained under him at some point or, you know, met him at some point, and just everyone speaks so highly of him. What was your experiences like with him? You know, he's a great guy. I mean, I had a great time with him. I was I was training. It was uh, Lennox Lewis. <laughs> then there was me. Then it was De La Hoya. So I was right in between. So I kind of felt that, you know, he kind of rushed me in. Like, I would hit the bag and, you know, just hit the bag and, you know, that was it. You know, I didn't feel that that intimacy that, you know, the uh, a trainer like I had with uh, Amilcar Brusa, who was Carlos Mozon's trainer, uh, who I had with him. He was on me, like, you know, watching me hit the bag and seeing seeing my defects and telling me, dude, you, you're dropping your arm. You do this. Move the head. Move this. So I, I felt... I felt a little uh, neglected a bit, um, a bit with uh, with Emmanuel, but but he was a great guy. I mean, I had a I had a lot of fun with him, fun because he was just a, he was a fun person. He was very joyful and um, and and very very kind. I mean, he got me a, a hotel room in in at Caesar's Palace when De La Hoya fought um, uh, Macho Camacho, and he got me a a, a room. And uh, I thought that was very, very great of nice, nice of him. And um, he was just—he was—he was a good guy. He would tell me some stories, some some stories. You know, I mean, he was 
you know, Emmanuel Stewart. And so uh, he, was, he was a good guy. Yeah. I really, I really uh, admired him. And um, I just wish I had a little bit more time with him instead of like a few months and uh, being rushed and um, him not really knowing my style and, and uh, knowing what, what worked for me and, or whatnot. And, and plus he was busy with the other fighters, you know, he had, I mean, Lennox Lewis and the heavyweight champion. And then he had uh, Oscar, my God, the big bunny cow. So, you know, I just felt that, you know, I was, I didn't fit that. And then he had welcome and Tita as well. So um, it was, uh, he had a lot of, he had a lot of fighters. And, you know, you boxed some brilliant, brilliant names throughout your career. Um, so you had many big fights. But if you, was there anyone that you wanted to fight but didn't get the chance to fight? And if so, who 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 are they? Oh, that's a, that was a great question, man. You know, and I haven't, not many people have asked me that, but that's a great question. Yeah, and I, I wanted to fight Arturo Gatti. Um, that was one. Uh, Asselino Freitas was another guy. And... Um, and uh, Corrales. Wow. So <laughs> hard fights there. Asselino Freitas, a tough, tough. Yeah, yeah. They, they would have been hard fights. They, they would have been hard fights. I was I was actually uh, offered to fight Jose Luis Castillo. Um, I turned that down because they want they they gave me like two weeks for that fight. And uh, they were only giving me $5,000. I was like, no, nah, no, thank you. I'm not going to take that fight. Um, I want to ask you this. Um, obviously, again, you know, you 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 found it pretty difficult to walk away from boxing. You had to literally stop going to the gym almost to to not miss it. Um, what what has kept you busy in that time? What gets you out of bed? What are you up to these days? Well, you know what? I mean, I before the this uh, COVID thing, um, I, I'm a boxing promoter. I promote boxing here in San Antonio, where I live. But um, I was making the move to uh, L.A. and opening a gym, gym in, in Los Angeles. And um, this definitely hit hard. So the people that I have investors that, that are with me, and so right now they're kind of like, we don't think right now is the best time. And it isn't. It, is, it isn't right now. The, the gyms are practically empty. I mean, they're, they're starting to open up in L.A. But um, here in Texas, they're starting to close them down again because the rate went up, they jumped up. So uh, um, it, it's, it's tough. But other than that, I mean, I, uh, my main thing that I do is um, I'm with my children. Um, my, my daughter, she's homeschooled. And uh, she's 14 years old, but she, she's on the United States uh, gymna- uh, acro- acrobatic gymnastics team. And in fact, the, the United Kingdom, the, the UK has the, the best, uh, acro gymnastics in the world and uh, um but she was uh, she placed number six in the world championships in in belgium and um and so you know i'm I'm with her all the time i take her to the gym i'm i'm there we she's doing homework i'm there i feed her uh, my son as well you know but my son he doesn't do homeschool he just he does uh soccer he does a lot of soccer, and he doesn't do it competitively. I mean, uh, recreationally, he does it competitively, and so uh, I put in a lot of time to my children. Oh, excellent, man! So very two very sporty children. Well, I say children, young, young. Yeah, I think you didn't say how old your yes, son was, yeah. but you know, 
Yeah, that's that's great. Man. Yeah, he's sixteen. He's six. Yeah, he's sixteen years old. Just voted uh, the best player um, in his position in South Texas out of out of, of the region. Wow. So I mean, that's that's a good thing, you know, for for soccer because soccer is so popular. You know, football, football. I don't know. Do you you a soccer fan or not? <laughs> football. Yeah. Yeah, we say football. Yeah. And so that's um, you know that's what that's my favorite sport actually. Really, I love soccer and um, yes. Wow, what what position I love it. I just, does your son play? Uh, midfield. Okay. Uh, attacking mid, attacking mid, or uh, or or uh, right, right front. Okay. Attacking, attack. What do you call it? The front. The, what do you call it? Um, what like a striker? The, the the guy that the striker. There you go, striker. Yeah, okay. the striker. Oh, that's interesting, man. That's that's yeah. That's you know, obviously over here, that's the number one sport. You know, um, you know that's why they're yeah. they're selling out stadiums every well before not not during COVID, of course, but they were you know they sell out stadiums every single weekend, seventy thousand every single weekend. Of you know, it's just it's like a religion over here. Yeah. <laughs> my my son was actually was actually called to go to West West Ham. Oh wow! To go okay. uh, try out, but. Um, at the end, uh, we we couldn't go because um, it was it was pricey, and so at the end, you know, we. It, but it was it was part of like a U.S. thing that that uh, that uh, West Ham came and they would go to different cities in the United States. They look at some of the kids, you know, and then they they send you to like another one spot, which is like in Alabama, and then from there they choose the team to go to to go to West Ham. And so I was like, if they really wanted you some, they'd pay. They'd pay your way. Mm. <laughs> but um, I was like, this is just a business. But it was it was good. It, it, I, you know, my kid has a certificate there where, you know, he's called up for uh, Forest Ham. So that was it was nice. You know, that was when he was young. And he's 16 now, but this was probably when, probably four years ago, three or four years ago. No, that's that's so cool, man. That's really interesting because, uh, you know, West Ham obviously is uh... – is uh you know it's, it's a london based football team and uh yeah real real history a lot of people in my family support that team for example that's that's so that's so cool that's only probably within an hour of my house um but you know everyone in london oh, we all speak yeah. everyone in london speaks a bit uh like uh we don't even pronounce the h because it's too long we we just call it west West Ham, West Ham, and that's what we call them. <laughs> West Ham, <laughs> okay, West Ham, all right, that's cool, nice. I've been saying it for so many years that we don't even pronounce the H because it's too, it's too long, we're too lazy for that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to put you on the spot a tiny that's bit, cool. Carlos, here. I'd like to ask this to everyone that we speak to from overseas. Favourite UK fighter, any era, it can be a guy that retired a thousand years ago, any era, favourite UK fighter? Jeez. I would probably have to say uh, um, the guy that fought Gerald McClellan. Nigel Benn. Nigel Benn, yes. Yeah, good He point. was a monster. Yeah. He was uh, a monster, and I, I love that style. That that was my style, you know, trying to go in there. I didn't have that power that he did, but but um, I just liked that aggressive style and say goodnight. You know, that, you know he was, there's, probably, there's probably more – more fighters that I used to really like Ricky Hatton. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't my favorite, but I really liked his stuff. He was just aggressive. That was another guy I wanted to fight as well. And, um, 
uh, and and Nassim Ahmed. I wanted I wanted to fight him. I really wanted to fight him because we were around the same weight division. So, uh, but uh, he was just very very flamboyant kind of fighter. I just really wanted to fight him, but he was um, yeah. He just it just never happened. He never moved up. Although he moved up after when he retired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure, a few weight classes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just finally, Carlos, if you've got any closing words just to our listeners before we let you go, obviously, you know, you don't speak to the UK media too often at all. Obviously, a load of guys over here know who you are and have supported you throughout your career and I'm sure wish you the best with everything you're doing outside of the ring now. What's your message to your supporters this side of the pond? Well, you know, I, I really I really do appreciate the, the love because I'm going to tell you, my, my kid, uh, he has a, a, a British or a, an English trainer, soccer coach, and uh, he actually used to box, he, but amateur. And, um, and so he sees me and he's like, uh, Famoso? <laughs> I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah. He, and he hugs me. He's like, I'm a big fan of yours. You know, I, and he used to watch me fight in, uh, in England. Now he's over here in Texas. Wow. And it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a good feeling. So I, I totally appreciate uh, the respect and the love that, that he's shown me. And uh, I'm sure uh, others from England have as well. And so uh, I think it's a beautiful country. I've been there. I've been to London. It's, it's, it's a great place. And um, I, I would love to be there again. I just, it's a very, very beautiful city. I love the, I love it. And um, I hope to, to be back, to be back there soon one day. One thing I want to do, and I didn't get a chance to, is, is go to a boxing gym. And um, I, I didn't go. I just went to pubs. Oh, pubs. I, went to, I would go to pubs. Yeah. <laughs> I would go to the pubs. <laughs> what, did you, what did you think of our pubs? Are they, are they different to what you've got down there in Texas? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. You know, I love, I love those dark, cave looking kind of kind of caverns you know i mean taverns but um it, it, it's 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 interesting you know uh, um but i liked it it was it was really i mean i went to a pub that was like hundreds of years old i was like what it's like in the 17 or 1800s i'm like my gosh this is history this is awesome i loved it was the beer good though you know what uh i i drink belgian beer Okay. I drink the the Duvel. Have you heard the Duvel? I don't think so. Oh, you gotta try that. I mean, if you're a beer drinker or not, you gotta try it at least one time. Okay. I I wasn't a beer drinker until I came to Texas. It's so damn hot here. You have to drink because <laughs> everyone's drinking. So I I started drinking. I like. I like it's that. not like I'm an habitual drinker. I'm not an alcoholic or anything like that, but. Yeah, I, I I do drink. I I don't drink anymore. I I told my kids and my and my ex wife because you know, we still talk. So I told her, yeah, I'm gonna stop drinking and all that. I'm gonna watch my weight. But yeah, the beer, the beer Duvel is is a good beer. So I just recommend you try that. I'm gonna try that. I I, I like the Italian beer. I don't know if you've ever tried any Italian beer. That's yeah, I I have I have um, it, it's something very very light. Um, the 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 duvel is it's very it's very rich i i just i mean that's just me though i, I mean you may not like it but it's it's a hell of a beer all right i'm gonna try it and i'll let you know but listen carlos it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you about your entire career it really has been thank you so much for your time god bless you and i hope we can catch up again in the future my friend you too my friend thank you so much and whenever i'm over there i'll hope to uh meet you
Absolutely. Or see you or whatever. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 246 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. Once again, it's always great to have Eddie with me. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former IBF Super Featherweight World Champion, Carlos Hernandez. A big shout-out, as always, to you, the listeners, for tuning in each week. The podcasts have been, obviously, a lot longer in, in terms of duration than usual, and that's because of the lack of boxing action on the TV screen so we're trying our best to help pass the time with these lengthier pods I hope you you enjoy them Um, if you do get the chance please leave us a review on iTunes that would really mean a lot to us other than that enjoy your weekends people stay safe thanks for listening and we shall see you all again next week